Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Throughout history, there are commonly periods of societal narcissism in which we believe our own era is the most extreme example of whatever condition we're considering. For example, in the 1950s, Americans regarded the automobile as the absolute apex of human engineering, even though some thousands of years before, humans had managed to build the pyramids. Since the invention of fiction, we've credited contemporary creators with devising the most fantastical worlds ever imagined, from Samuel Taylor Coleridge's poem Kubla Khan to Walt Disney's Disneyland, but it's hard to imagine an era more extreme than the one we're living in today. Even with the caveat of misplaced narcissism, there has never been a greater disparity between the real world and the non-real world, between, say, the world of manufacturing and the promised land of the metaverse. The metaverse is a more or less parallel rendering of the real world in a 3D digital dimension. Although we've been promised versions of this vision for years with names like holograms and VR, the latest portal into this alternative universe is called Web3. Web3 is built on the blockchain, which is at its heart a metaverse where we can relate to each other without going through a middleman. In other words, in this utopian digital future, we won't need Facebook, Netflix, or anybody who builds an online platform for us because somehow we're all going to be able to build these bridges between ourselves. So the question is, is Web3 another empty promise about mass market adoption of life-changing virtual reality, which is always just about to happen but never seems to, or is blockchain, cryptocurrency, and free-to-be Web3 world really here? Arguably, New Orleans' most successful entrepreneur ever is betting on option number two. In 2010, Patrick Comer created a real-world company called Lucid, which dealt in collecting data. In 2021, Patrick sold Lucid for $1.1 billion. Patrick's latest venture is called Gripner. Gripner couldn't be more untethered to the real world if it was an acid trip. As I understand it, and I'm willing to be corrected, Gripner is a Web3 blockchain-based platform that allows online game players to play a game like Dungeons & Dragons and incorporate cryptocurrency and NFTs into their online gaming world. Patrick, it's amazing to see you back on the ground floor of an entrepreneurial startup so soon after selling Lucid, welcome back to Out to Lunch. It's great to be back, Peter. It surprises my wife as well that there's another project immediately afterwards. But to be clear, um, Brent McCrossan, a good friend of mine, another entrepreneur, we is, is the, the CEO and is running the show. And I'm more like the executive producer and president of this project. But I came up with the idea about a year ago uh, to really incorporate ideals of NFTs and blockchain 
but also one of my passions and projects, which is the Dungeons and Dragons. So this is like the intersection you're, of D&D and the blockchain. Geez, you didn't hide that fact that you're a D&D &D guy. I am indeed. Been That's... playing with my kids for a few years now. So. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the real world, Stephen Bateman has a forge in the backyard of his house in Jefferson Parish. Stephen is the owner and sole employee of his company, Down the River Forge. He spends his days making knives. Steven started the business in 2020. Today he's making high-end, handcrafted, hunting knives, kitchen knives, meat cleavers, oyster shuckers, and cane knives for clients across the country and around the world, as far away as New Zealand, Norway, and the UK. If you want a homemade knife from Down the River Forge, your current wait time is 18 to 20 weeks. And thanks to Steven's appearances on TV and the organic success of Down the River Forge Instagram account, Stephen's client list is growing every week. Stephen Bateman, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Patrick, the first rule of entrepreneurship is solve a problem that needs solving. But having said that, sometimes we don't know what we need till it's right in front of us. For example, 30 years ago, if Lucid were around and you conducted a survey in which you asked, would you wear basketball shoes as a fashion item? the average person would probably say no. 10 years ago, if you asked, would you like a total stranger to come pick you up in his car? You would have gotten the same answer. But today, we don't need to be told about the success of Nike or Uber because they're household words. With that in mind, there are a lot of people in the world who are gamers. Even if most of these folks don't know it yet, they need to get into Web3 and play games on the blockchain. This is definitely a tech-savvy subset so you could conceivably sell Gripner products to a sizable chunk of this population. So what is the pitch to these folks? If I'm a gamer and I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, what do I gain by buying into your first Gripner gaming product, the Glimmering? Well, I'm glad that the introduction has so many words that are a mouthful for you because <laughs> it's, it's pretty apparent that the a lot knife of, thing is going to be much yeah, easier. Yeah, much, by much the way. more straightforward. <laughs> and I think that everyone understands Web three, blockchain, and crypto immediately. It's easy for everyone to really understand the metaverse out of the gate. Um, but if I really want to boil it down, I also did the research first, right? And most people don't understand how large the Dungeons and Dragons playing community actually is, and not just D and D, but all these tabletop role playing games. And of course, having run a market research entity, Lucid, before we actually sold the company, I ran a market research survey to size the market. How big is this? We found that 14% of the US population plays one of these games on a regular basis. And you're looking at me like, how is this possible? Yeah. And the reality <laughs> is that most people think of Dungeons and Dragons as something people over 40 play. But over the past 20 years, the most recent editions of these games have become very popular, and you have high school students and college students now playing at a much higher rate than ever before. And you think of it in a world that everyone has to be virtual. As you start out, we're talking about the metaverse. There's something glorious, especially during COVID, of getting together and playing a game. And so Dungeons & Dragons, those types of games, become immensely popular. Another thing that may surprise you is, you talk about NFTs or metaverse or blockchain as if that's something that not a lot of people are doing also around the research, 9% of the US population already owns at least one NFT. So they're already buying cryptocurrency, they're already in the market. And if you look at the Venn diagram, you pull those two things together, it's about 6% of the US population does both. They play Dungeons and Dragons and they already own an NFT and that's our target market. 
So I don't have to worry about you because you started lucid. Uh, well, that's right. You every project <laughs> is, a is, is a risk, right? Every new idea is a risk. <laughs> but at its core, one of the things that doesn't happen with D&D is you don't get to prove that you actually did the game. It's something that happens between friends. It happens um, and it disappears. So on now some there's level. a leaderboard or something like that? Not just a leaderboard. There's actual ownership. And if you think about what's core to blockchain, what's core to this new technology, is the ability to own virtual things directly. Because today, for example, if I see a, a great image online, I can, I can copy and paste it. And now I have a copy of that image, but where does the ownership actually lay? Blockchain and NFTs allow ownership of digital assets to be clearly identified with an individual person, an individual wallet. Now, Stephen, your world is very different. You only have to look across the table at Patrick to find out what happens when you start a business that clicks. With Down the River Forge, you're obviously creating a product that people like and want. You've only been doing this full-time since 2021, and you already have a long line of customers who are prepared to wait months for a custom knife. Now, working out of the backyard of your house by yourself, there's a limit to the number of knives you can make in a week. Are you gonna be happy with that level of sales for the long term, or do you have plans to build a bigger business? Yeah, I definitely have plans to grow. You know, it's been one of those things that I am constantly reinvesting myself into the company. So it's, and I taught myself how to do all of this. So it's it's really just, I'm learning as I, as I go. And um, the most important thing is to realize who, who I'm reaching out to, who I'm connecting with. And as long as I can stay true to that, the business will kind of take care of itself. Um, as far as growing the company, I mean, I want to go more on the production side of things. Uh, you know, initially I started, I was doing everything completely by hand. You had an anvil, and that word has never been used on the show. An anvil, if you say that nowadays, most people have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I started with railroad spikes. You and your mom picking them up down there? My mom and I collected about 50 one day, and I, I just I went to hammering on those things, and what I thought was a knife at the time. It looks more of like a prison shank now that I look back on. It's, <laughs> and it's, you're also making those, which I think is clever. Right. It's, a, it's really ugly, man. But I, to gain that foundation and to really say, hey, if you don't quit, if you keep at this, you can. And I didn't look a year ahead. I didn't look a day ahead. I, I, I was just in there at the moment saying, hey, let's figure this out. Then I progressed to um, my buddy had a bunch of lawnmower blades. Whoa. So then I would cut those in half, and then I just started forging. And um, one came out pretty cool. I still have it um, in the shop. It was a, you know, a big cleaver. Someone offered to buy that, and I was like, what? You want to buy <laughs> What is happening here? You want to buy this? I didn't even know, uh, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, 50 bucks, man. And I thought that was high at the time. And they were like, absolutely, here's my address. So from there, I was like, okay, I'll keep putting stuff out. And I started this all on Instagram, man, which later on I built a website. And I, I say old school. I like to keep it old school. I like to interact and, and meet people, say, hey, this is what I do, whether you're a chef, an outdoorsman, whoever you may be. Because then it's just different. You know, online, it's, it's great. You can chat in the, in the DMs and email. But to actually go out there and meet people, use your knives with those people, and then it goes from there. So that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, I, um, 
like I said, started with railroad spikes, progressed to lawnmower blades, old lawnmower blades. You know, I talked to somebody from Union Pacific, and they are very angry. Oh, yeah, I they, bet, they man. took those. They hit. So, now, Patrick, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about this. The game, only game I play, a board game, is Monopoly. I'm always the thimble, if that helps at all. But when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, these kind of games and were always played by um, white males. Is, has that changed? Uh, it's, it's changed dramatically. Um, really, there, there are kind of two populations of these, these Dungeons & Dragons types games. One of the original players, because the game came out in the mid-70s, right? And the first real kind of push to the popular market was in the early 80s. And so there's that generation of players who grew up with the original game. And it's evolved, several editions, several different versions over the years. And now there's this new, younger, more diverse player base. And sometimes these player bases are at odds. You have a much older generation. I used to play it this way, and this is the way to play it. And the new generations have new ideas on how to play the game. But it's a very diverse uh, set of players across the board. And you know, I was thinking that, that COVID must have changed things because people couldn't get together. So how, Absolutely. how did this change? Well, before COVID, you played tabletops at a physical table, like we are now. We'd I've come seen together, that a lot. Right? We'd yeah. come together and play. Yeah. You play Monopoly together yeah. as a family right. with your friends. Well, with COVID, that kind of blew up. And so the virtual tabletops, the idea of playing over Zoom or playing over different platforms like a Roll20, which is a virtual tabletop, that became the norm because of it had to. And so all these people suddenly started to engage with their favorite games digitally and over Zoom than what physically yeah. than they used to, which leads to the ability of new digital types of gaming to, to be effective like, like Gripner and the Glimmering. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Patrick Comer from blockchain gaming company Gripner and Stephen Bateman, knife maker from Down the River Forge. Stephen, I, I was thinking as I was getting ready for the show, uh, the only outdoors knife I have is a fish fillet. Do you want to do those? Yeah, you know, it's it's a, a lot of that, the learning curve on a new blade to learn something new. And it's I, I'm not saying I don't want to do that. Um, a lot of... Fillet knives are titanium, um, stainless steel. So you have to take them out of somebody's hip. Yeah, so. you gotta. It's it's a procedure. It's a, I don't hey. know if I can find someone willing to. <laughs> Tell me how. Ex- what are the costs of like? What's the most expensive knife you make? So the, the most expensive blade right now I have would be the cane knife or my cleavers because a cleaver you, you can have like the tra- traditional old school like hog splitter. So, which people love and you know it's it's one of those things now like everyone's using um like electric powered stuff to to break down an animal right but like old school butchers still love that so i've found a you know a niche with that um but it's just based off steel what steel i'm using how much steel i'm using so um most expensive blade is probably 475 to 600 bucks so yeah and you're mainly out of steel, that's how you're forging all these? Yeah, so... And you said different types of steel. What, what does that mean? So basically, not to get too nerdy, there's oh, high carbon... Yeah, I know. <laughs> Come on. I know. Oh, I got I'm my money on Patrick, but... but it's, it's, um, there's high carbon steel, and then there's stainless steel. And then under those umbrellas, there's just a ton of numbers and letters that make up all these different steels. I use 1084, 1095 for the high carbon. Those are really tough blades they retain an edge very well and they just finish nicely when i say finish nicely they just look good um 1084 84 meaning 84 percent carbon so carbon 
there's so much that the steel, the, internally there's a lot that goes on in steel, right? So the more carbon, the tougher the blade. Right. So the stainless steel I use is primarily for my oyster shuckers and my chef knives. Oyster shuckers because oh, yeah. I know me, I, I'm drinking a lot when I'm shucking oysters and if you want to leave it out, shuckers get wet. You don't want your shucker full of, of you rust. That strange knife with the mesh. Yeah. There's a lot, lot going on there. There's yeah. uh, <laughs> hey, Patrick, the, the business will take care of itself, but how, does, how do you reach out to players and, and, and what does a player actually do? Well, what's interesting about our game is people still play tabletop role-playing games. We're not creating a brand new game. What we're doing is really adding on to the experience of what's called organized play. So organized play is when we all play together in the same world and that our player characters, the, the, the adventures that we play, we play together. And we also play the adventure multiple times across multiple tables because people wouldn't be able to play it over and over again. So organized play has had this fundamental problem for years is no infrastructure to track everything. What monsters did you kill? How much gold or what magical items did you receive? And did you level up your, your character? Those were very hard things to track. And also who owned what? Did you own the sword? Did I own the sword? Which player characters, how they evolved? And so really, we're trying to solve the challenge of organized plays had over the last 25 years, which is a platform to track everything and give ownership to all the players. And how does, a, how does Gripner make revenue? Or well, it's, it's not very, yet or in uh, the future? Uh, in two very specific ways. One is that we're going to have our Genesis, Genesis collection mint or basically sell. So there are 10,000 player characters that will sell and we'll take a piece of that. And then within NFTs, it's normal for there to be a marketplace. And if you sell an NFT for $100, the marketplace may take 10%. So there's this take rate that we take as well. It's take a piece of every transaction like most marketplaces do. And the question I had uh, going into today's show is, is there a secondary market for what you're buying? Always a secondary market because these are assets. We create assets, people can buy and sell them as they see fit. So there's a primary market and there can also be secondary markets. That's a, that's a nice uh, thought there. Stephen, you were doing this part-time for a while. Right. And, um, and then that must have been a big moment to say, I'm gonna get rid of that full-time job and this is gonna be full-time. Absolutely. Mean, courageous, you know, people probably told you maybe it was even dumb there's I've always been crazy man but that was scary that it was man because uh you know I have a 19 month old we have a baby on the way um this was in December of 2021 prior to filming for uh, a show that I got asked to be a part of I have Eric shape yeah I'm too I'm too curious now. What are these shows, and how'd you get on? Yeah, which, what show is this? Just, it's complete wildness, man. So, <laughs> Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, really good guy from here. Uh, he's from Homa. Chef was working up in New York City. He was the, if I'm saying this right, executive chef at Blue Smoke for 12 years. And kind of that time in life, like life's all about timing. We all know that. Um, he was stepping down from that position and was moving back home. And for fun, he was filming a show with his buddies called Duck Camp Dinners. Just something <laughs> for fun, man. Uh, it's like a bunch of dudes in a duck blind, <laughs> talking like smack, hunting, doing what you're doing on a duck hunt, and then just cooking this really good food back at the camp. So season one is out, it's on YouTube. Um, we started talking on Instagram. He was selling this sweet 
like 95 Ford Bronco, like the O.J. Simpson Bronco. <laughs> That's the That's best thing everyone will know. That, like the white um, Bronco? or Yeah, the yeah. one that was, yeah, that one. <laughs> so he's like, we, we start talking like that. Long story short, he's like, man, those are like really cool oyster shuckers. And then from there it progressed into, hey, do you want to be on this TV show? So contact my buddy that I grew up with, hunting and fishing with, Blake. And this is down. He works and fishes and hunts in Venice. So down the river. That's oh, where the name go. came yep. from. Um, so, yeah, we filmed on that show. Um, three episodes worth of us hunting, fishing, cooking this great food, using the knives. He, uh, this was in December of 2021. So back to the, the original question. I told my boss, like, hey, I need a week off. I'm doing this thing. Old salty and you never came back. machinist. <laughs> I thought about not going back, but I owed it to this guy. We had talked about it. I said, look, man, this is what I'm doing. This is what I love. And he's like, if I was you, man, I would go for it. And that guy had worked at that machine shop for 30-plus years. So I film. And I was like, man, you know, just fell in love all over again with the whole process and and what knives can provide and what they can connect me to. So I go back to the job and I say, Vic, I'm done, man. Like, this is it. And he goes, good for you, man. Just, you know, go all in. I'm proud of you. So that's all I needed to hear. And, you know, so that's been December of 2021. So about six or seven months um, going full time. Next month will be two years of me making knives. Um, wow. Yeah. So. And you're not armed right now? No, no, no. I'm just checking. No, no hidden weapons. Hey, Patrick, when, I've, when you've been on the show a couple of times, it's not like I can look into your brain, but it was very clear to me that you it had... It would be a, weird if you could. I know. That's... Uh, there's, uh, <laughs> people talk. But it's... Uh, I, could, I could tell that you had other ideas that were sort of marinating in there. Is that going to be a constant thing for you? Is that just part of the entrepreneurial uh, vibe? I... Have, been in entrepreneurship since I got out of college. And you were in Swanee, right? I went to Swanee for university, and then I moved to New York with my younger brother, Walton, who's helped me found Lucid and is now the, the, the founder of XBTO, a, a merchant bank in the crypto space. And we've been working on various startup projects for um, 20, 25 years. And there's this constant, not only ideas that we have, but other people have. It's the, how do you go from zero to one? How do you take an idea and convince yourself and other people that we should try? Yeah. And that's that moment I get really excited by, is how do you actually do that process, convince yourself that this thing is going to work? Yeah. Because it takes so much hard work, passion, fear, and drive to just make any things, these things ever occur. Yeah. Um, and what's fascinating to me is that I walk around every day and I realize that everything that I see, someone decided to make. Yeah. Like everything was created by other people. It wasn't just off the machine line. Like everything we see was because of someone else's passion. And that's what I get most excited about, is taking those passion and those ideas and bringing them to life. That's cool. I, I always remind myself, like, I am nobody. Yeah. Everyone who's doing something is nobody. And not to, like, talk down upon people, but it's like, we're all the same, man. Yeah. It's like, what piques your interest? What do you really want to work hard at and try? And that's, you know... But it, right. Yeah, it's, it's hard, man. But everything is man-made. What I, wanna, what I love about entrepreneurship I want to ask you about is how did you decide to start messing around with an anvil 
and yeah. you know, and start making like what was that, that so, passion that drive that got you to that place? It was uh, you know in the military for seven years, and I was thinking about all this as I was going to commit to this knife making. I had a knife on me every day for seven years. Everyone uses a knife. You, you may have used one this morning. You're probably going to use one later on. Um, and then just, just hunting and fishing, man, it's always piqued my curiosity. And I've always been fascinated with a tool that can really, it's transcended time. It's the equalizer. I don't care who you are. Everyone uses a knife. And just the, uh, the challenging, like challenging myself to try something really hard and new, all these things just were kind of the perfect storm to say, hey, all right, I'm going to get this anvil. I'm going to get this belt grinder. Let's just try it. And then I became obsessed and said, okay, I'm going to make this work. And then it's grown into this, you know, full-fledged business that puts food on the table and it's growing. Well, inspired by your story for Down the River Forge is that over the years as an entrepreneur and a CEO, I can't count the number of people that walked into my office or to have a drink with me and say, I want to be an entrepreneur also. But before I do that, I'm going to take a job with you. And most of those people never actually start a company. I'm always, always surprised and excited when someone actually takes the risk because most people think they want to, but they never cross over that line. So that's why I'm always going back to what was that moment that you said, okay, I'm going all in. No holds barred. I'm going to start whatever the project may be. How did you just, how did, what was that moment for you? So I, I think everyone, man, throughout life is trying to create the life that they want and enjoy, mm. right? And I think most people are just terrified to even try and do that for, for a lot of reasons. You, you can, we can go enlist a laundry list of reasons. Um, I've always been attracted to the unknown and fear has kind of driven me to be successful, whether it's in the military, um, you know, as a 27-year-old starting college, starting my life over, getting out of the military, um, traveling, just, it's, it's the unknown and it's trying to create a life that you want to live. Life is very short and now that I'm a father, you know, the days they melt into the next day. Like, it, it, it's crazy. And, you know, really just you have to say, screw it. Let's just do it. And if it doesn't work. That is a bumper sticker. I love it. I was going to say the other word, but <laughs> some, guy, <laughs> some guy wrote a book about that of, of not. You just, you really just have to say, hey, look, you have to look at yourself and say, I'm going to do this. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't give a shit if I fail. Failure has led me to this spot eating pizza. That's, that's <laughs> in all seriousness. Amen. Um, so just do it, man. If you fail, who cares? We're all just nobodies here. Everything is man-made, like we said. Just start over, recollect, and, and just go for it. And it's been the most challenging thing I've ever done um, is starting a business I had no business plan, right? I was just out there trying to figure it out. And then from there, I was like, okay, people are hitting me up to buy these things. Like, I'm slowly creating the life that I want. 
I like food. I like to hunt. I like to be around people and interact. So it's, that's what I wanted out of life. So how do I get that? Through knives, I've been able to do that. So that's what drives me now. And, and leaving the legacy for my son and my daughter that's on the way, it's, I want them to see the hard work and the discipline that I've put into something because one day they're going to say, hey, man, this is hard. No, it's not. Yeah, Dad did it. Just, just do it, and I'll, <laughs> I'll talk you through it. So if you're not challenging yourself, especially as a parent or as a family member, you, it's going to be hard for people to, for me personally, I want them to look at me and say, hey, he figured it out. Like, I can do this. Dad can do it. Anybody can do right, it. Right, exactly, man. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, Patrick, you are our local Elon Musk. And, uh, you could, For better or worse? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, no, you're not Is that quite. the only entrepreneur you can think <laughs> well, of? Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> when he's on his meds, that's what I think. Is the, And does that, the big successes you've had, does that make it easier to sell this? Oh, I, I've got to say, um, when you sell a company for over a billion dollars, people take you more seriously, which is a problem because I'm chock full of bad ideas, right? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, people get to yes faster because of past success. And so it's, it's both a blessing and a curse on some level because part of the value of hearing no is it refines your thinking. It refines how you're approaching whatever the pro knives or, or yeah. Dungeons and Dragons on crypto, right? Now that's, that's bringing blockchain to tabletop role-playing, right? That seems obvious. Um, <laughs> so th there, is a, there is a little bit of both, right? Um, but I have to say what has been most inspiring about having sold the company is how other people are saying yes to other projects I'm not involved with. The idea that our community can build very successful technology or otherwise new companies is now something that people understand is possible because there's proof in the proverbial pudding. And so what I keep asking people is don't just say yes to what I come up with because you should be as critical of me as anyone else. But when someone else comes with the new project, the new idea, or they come to their, their father or their brother or sister or uncle and say, I want to start a knife company, say yes. How can I help? Not all the reasons why it's not going to work. And that's a subtle but important kind of cultural shift that can, that can drive dramatic change for our community. If you've ever been in a brainstorming session, you've probably heard the encouraging moderator try and elicit input by saying, there's no such thing as a bad idea. On the other hand, anybody who has sat through a pitch session in which entrepreneurs pitch concepts for startup businesses, they'll tell you that there is no shortage of bad ideas. Or so they think. In reality, there are countless stories of very successful businesses whose founders had people tell them it will never work. Patrick Gripner, is a business that's so cutting edge, it's almost literally in a world of its own. And Stephen, who would have known that there is such enormous demand for custom knives until you had the courage to commit to Down the River Forge? I've ended quite a few of these out to lunch shows over the years by saying I look forward to following you and your continuing success. But Patrick and Stephen, I never meant it more than I do today. This has been a fascinating insight into two very different worlds Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Such a pleasure to be here. And I'd also say that Down the River Forge is also on the cutting edge. Okay, all right. See? Yeah, you, thanks you for having compliments. me, guys. This is awesome. <laughs> Coming from him, that's a big deal. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Patrick Comer, founder and president of Gripner, and Stephen Bateman, owner and knife maker at Down the River Forge. 
We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about the Web3 world of gaming and the real world of knife making by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app or on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, Three Roll is cane to glass. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.